Hello and welcome to Coffee Meet with Algamy Consulting with me, your host, Chris New. Today's podcast is the third in a series of podcasts titled New World Under Construction, aimed at providing some insight from key players of the wealth and asset management industry on what it means to run and operate an investment managed business as the industry looks to refocus and adapt to a post-COVID world. The theme of our podcast today is what's new in product design and product development in the wealth and asset management industry. The industry has remained active developing and launching products during the pandemic. While this activity reflects product decisions made before the crisis, what trends do we now see with regards to the type of products and structures that will be designed over the coming months? In our new world, what are the fundamental drivers and factors that influence new product development? Could they be new or alternative asset classes, structures or solutions? Well, I'm excited to be joined by two experts in the product development and strategy arena, um, Cora Gibbons and Toby Boatwright. Good morning, both. Morning. Morning, morning, morning. Chris. Morning, Toby. Morning. Cora Gibbons is formerly head of product at Artist Investment Management with 15 years experience in the product arena. And Toby Boatwright is with BMO Global Asset Management as head of product development. Again, with, correct me if I'm wrong, Toby, nearly 20 years of experience in the industry. Thereabouts. I just hit my 20 years as well, Chris. Congratulations. You're both joining me by Zoom. I hope you have your coffee with you. Absolutely. Excellent. Um, just before we start, maybe you could give us a, a couple of minutes introduction to your sort of product product development journey or career and maybe what, what it is that uh, you're passionate about or what you care about within the product world. So maybe start with you, Cora. So um, 20 years in, in an elevator pitch. <laughs> and the interesting, I think, with the earlier roles that I had in, in the industry were a lot more on the marketing and the client side before I started in, in the product area. And actually, I think that was a very good way to go into product. And it certainly meant for me that I had the client opportunity um, and the client at the forefront of my mind when I did go into product and move into product development and strategy. So I've worked in a number of different product roles across a number of different firms starting with Invesco really in Frankfurt, looking at their continental European offshore range. And then investors where, again, I focused on product development and strategy for their offshore ranges and focused on European and and Asian distribution. And then moved to international products at Natixis, followed by Bearings and always with them, very much a a global remit and uh, very much managing sort of across the life cycle from the, you know, idea generation, innovation, through to product development, strategic projects, and then the sometimes more operational, but very, very important product management aspects. Um, And from there on to to Artemis. So I finished up recently at Artemis to take an opportunity to work on the international product side for Nuveen as as managing director there within their product space. I think what I'm passionate about is probably more the product development, the product strategy, the innovative piece, the client solution oriented piece, Again, the client focus and really working in tandem with a business that is trying to grow its distribution footprint through, you know, developing interesting and innovative client solutions. So, Toby, what's your journey? You're currently with BMO Global Asset Management, but it didn't start there. No, absolutely. I've been through a a couple of different asset managers over the um, 20 years that I've been working. So I started actually very first job for about 18 months working for a wealth manager as an assistant to the main investment manager and actually doing reviews of asset managers. So 
I started on the other side of the fence, as it were, looking into asset management, but quickly wanted to move to asset management. And I got my first job from the wealth manager into AXTA investment managers and working in marketing and sales support. So similar to Cora. And about a year after I joined there, they asked me what I wanted to do and move on to. And they gave me three choices. I could go and work more on the sales support side. I could try to move down to the investment floor because I was studying for my CFA at that point. Or I could go and work in product. And I said, what's product? Because I didn't really know at that stage it even existed. And it was actually, you know, the infancy of, of product sort of 20 years ago. There were many houses, asset managers that didn't even have a product team. Uh, the idea of it and the challenge and the rhythms of it in terms of the the, the sort of three, six-month projects. And it attracted me into working in product there. Did that for about a year and a half. I moved to Henderson and, and worked in their product management team for about two years um, and then got offered the more development job. Again, the kind of sexier stuff, more interesting front-edge strategy stuff at, at UBS where I worked for five years. And then from there, I looked to try and take more um, management responsibility. I went to PIMCO, did three and a half years at PIMCO, where I ran the fund development team there. And then finally, a couple more jumps. I went to Legal and General and was the head of product implementation there. And finally, the head of um, product development at BMO for the last four years. Yeah, that's an interesting journey. And it's both interesting. You both have um, client-focused backgrounds and are now currently in the positions you are reflects the fact that product is moving in a direction that is is more tailored and more client focused. If you've listened to my previous podcast, you'll realize I have a fun question or a bit of a teaser for you that you can come back to me at the end of the podcast. So this week, I've had yet another disaster in the in the kitchen. We've been uh, invoking ESG and trying to be sustainable and getting uh, the little recyclable capsules, which seemed like a great idea. But unfortunately, every time I put them in, they sort of don't puncture the capsule correctly. And I get this little dribble of coffee. So I'm there raging and fuming at the machine. So I'm wondering... Uh, have you had any well-meaning domestic innovations that, uh, that have left you f- fuming? So what has been happening in this space in terms of how we've moved from just sort of developing products that either the industry or the, the managers think are needed to how we focus maybe with clients? Cora, what have you been seeing in terms of the recent months or even the recent years in terms of the industry and where we are today? If we go back to the focus on the clients, one of the things I found in my previous role and we were very pleasantly surprised by was there was even more take up than normal from clients and a lot of the webcasts and the calls that we were offering. We all agree that regular communication in terms of any of the impacts um, to the products, to the funds, to the performance, to the profile, to the portfolio and the fund management side, we felt it was very important to communicate those. But we were very surprised the take up was so immense. So clients were obviously sort of craving information flow and, and using these calls instead of touching base regularly face-to-face with the relationship managers they were really taking advantage of these calls and that went very well so really I found that the emphasis and from talking to other counterparts and, and, and former colleagues and in, across the industry and in the product area they were finding similar obviously there was also a, a focus on liquidity questions and challenges and that was taking up a lot of time in the product area. And then interestingly, I think certainly my former company, but also from speaking to some of my counterparts, the focus uh, this year had been intended for many companies to be more on the rationalization, the consolidation, the sort of merger, closure, some housekeeping activity. 
Whereas last year, there was some more focus on the product development and the product launches. Those companies who decided to deprioritize a lot of closure and merger activity, that this was not the optimal timing to do it. And, um, and, and other companies had decided to, to sort of push on regardless. And that led to some very interesting things in terms of EGMs being virtually conducted for the first time. And we had the FCA gave some very welcome flexibility to companies to be able to proceed with some of that activity on an exceptional basis to be able to actually facilitate EGMs and to allow in particular mergers to go ahead. So interestingly, I think that most of the, and maybe Toby has a different view on this, but the people that I've spoken to seem to have proceeded, albeit the focus was more on that sort of rationalization, on client communication, on some closure and merger activities that were to the benefit ultimately of the end clients. So that is, I guess, you say that sort of client driven as well. I was sort of interested to know whether that rationalization, especially given the, the free pressure within the industry, that would sound like a management driven initiative. But then interestingly, actually, maybe that's because the clients either they want simpler products that they can access, they too want realize the benefit of a more streamlined sort of merged yeah. uh, product base. I have experienced where clients have actually said, you've got a very similar vehicle there. We'd be happy being in that. And it's happened on more than one occasion, actually, where there's been client requests to consider some of these mergers. But you're absolutely absolutely right in in, in the sense that it can be management driven. It's hard to have this conversation without talking about sort of the assessment of value under the FCA Asset Management Market Study and the suggestion that we're going to see similar movements from the Luxembourg side, and certainly with a slightly different emphasis coming from Ireland as well. So I think there is a regulatory element to this as well. And it's very clearly linked to the assessment of value under economies of scale as one of the, one of the key criteria as well. So I think if you can demonstrate that you're continuing to offer value and that you are sort of undertaking some of this activity to enable economies of scale to be achieved and pass on to end clients, then I think that's also a key driver for some of this activity. And certainly a lot of the UK-specific UK fund, UK domicile fund, uh, yeah. closure activity. Also, more interestingly, I think an acknowledgement and appreciation that from a client perspective, likely also from an FCA perspective, if there is an option to um, merge a fund rather than close it, and the client has chosen to be in that particular asset class, then it's probably preferable to allow them to remain invested, even if it's through a merger, or even to look at a transfer to an external manager. And that's a really interesting dynamic and trend that I think we're going to see more of where asset managers decide strategically from a performance, expertise, focus, budget, resource perspective, whatever it may be, that a particular asset class or sector or subsector is, is not something that they're focusing on and, and have been you know, particularly best in class in delivering. And that perhaps there's an external manager out there who could do a better job in terms of value for an end client and actually then setting up a transfer arrangement to an external manager. Toby, I, I don't know whether that resonates with you, so maybe give us a some of your views on that thanks very much chris uh, and just to say to what cora was saying it very much resonates with me it's like she was reading or has been been on the inside of uh, what's been going on at bmo as well we've certainly were looking at doing more rationalization this year we slowed down some of it because we don't think it's the right time but in other instances where we were working on a couple of projects those have been sped up so with any big change, you kind of reevaluate quickly. You deal with what you need to deal with, whether you have any suspensions of funds because you had daily dealing property funds that became difficult to value. Mm. And then you quickly look at 
what your planned activities were for the year, decide what is going to slow down, what's going to keep on and what's going to either be added or sped up. And certainly there's a few things this year, especially over the summer, that got sped up on our side. Actually, from a product productivity perspective for the first six months, I think we've been absolutely great. And in fact, in some ways, having everyone on a Teams or a Zoom call is a leveler and gets everyone engaged more than having to turn up for a meeting and possibly sit in a meeting they're not really paying attention to. So I've definitely seen uh, positive aspects of being completely digital. However, over time, I think we're going to lose some of the initial ideas that were springing up at the coffee machine. And so there's definitely um, going to be a desire to get back into the office somewhat. I'm looking forward to hopefully getting back into the office for a couple of days a week. I, t- I totally agree with a couple, in particular a couple of things that you, you said there. You talked about you know what appealed to you about products, very similar to what appealed to me. It's constantly changing. You're on your toes. But also you have to deal with almost every single other team across the whole company and every single other department. And the great thing about initially being in this new normal and, and, and lockdown and everything being digital was that everybody was really, really eager and enthusiastic to show how well they could work from home. We were getting things done and we were getting the input we needed and all the stakeholder feedback much quicker than normal. But I agree with you, the flip side of that is when you've got something less structured than a product you know, closure or a launch or a merger, when we're talking about the innovation and the creative side of things, you can't structure that. I mean, you can set up regular idea generation forums and meetings but that's never where the best ideas come from you're absolutely right it comes from a chat in the kitchen it comes from a conversation that starts about something completely different at at the coffee machine I I completely agree with you so we do have to find a way I think back to that that's not going to be as easily done on zoom calls with rigid agendas etc it just it just won't be as effective I think so that takes us I guess to what do we see happening in our new world under construction Maybe Toby will give you first bite of the cherry at this. <laughs> happy, no, happy to. You've mentioned the fee compression going on in the traditional part of the industry as as more and more money's continued in, or obviously in the US is further ahead of us, but but continue to move over onto the index side. My business has got a very nice franchise in Canada in ETFs, so mm-hmm. um, we're the beneficiary of that there. And then in Europe, we're far more on the active management side. And, and what we see out in the industry is the move to solutions, um, very much both for institutions, uh, and we're quite a big LDI house, and looking to see how we can build out our product set there to further uh, complement that. And then also on the retail side, uh, where we've continued to launch different types of multi-asset solutions rather than index-focused, single-asset class-type funds. And where it has been single asset class type funds, we have quite a strong ESG heritage and that's been a huge industry theme. And so more often than not, we've been launching ESG variants of existing strategies where it makes sense. And because of our fairly long ESG heritage of over 35 years, we have to be quite careful about how we do that. So that takes up quite a lot of time. But we've been you know, doing that over the last two to three years And then the final thing that many people in the industry already understand is there's a lot of movement from traditional asset managers to try to jump over to the real asset and alternative side where the fees are far more protected from the index providers. And and that's another trend that we've been um, looking to uh, take part in as well as an asset manager. 
It, it sounds like a familiar set of challenges and a lot of work for the product development team, especially moving away from even multi-asset into different asset classes. But it all depends on your starting point as an asset manager. For instance, mm. some asset managers had very little ESG product and therefore it's kind of greenfield. You can look at what's best in class and what you're able to provide and start building. For a manager like BMO, asset management, we've got product that's been on the shelf for a long time and it's then about how you build that out further or um, build alongside it where we've got responsible, which are more exclusionary type funds and sustainable, which are more positive engagement type funds. You need to be very careful about how you're building these things out and make sure that the communications to clients as to what they are and what they aren't is very um, well thought through. Corey, maybe there's a, a question there. If there's such a broad range of products that now have to be addressed, maybe this is going to lead to some consolidation or joint ventures. Yeah, you know. I definitely, definitely agree with um, some points that Toby's raised. And, and I guess looking at it through more of a long-term lens, I think what we're going to see is further industry consolidation. So at firm company level, rather than um, you know just with at a, a product level within firms. And I think those asset managers who are going to survive the test of time, really, there are sort of three pillars. There's there's passive, which obviously continues to grow and scale is is absolutely paramount, whether it's a passive manager or manager who offers passives. And then we've got the second pillar of active and and really the pressure, you know, talked about briefly there about fee compression, you know, the competition and the division between passive and active. And I think that's really where, the emphasis on value comes in, the importance of, I guess, the star and recognised and trusted manager, both at firm and individual and team level in terms of the actual fund management team. That's really where you need to be able to demonstrate consistency and performance longer term, build that trust, have best in class. And that's where increasingly ESG, rather than being a separate product offer, I think, in the short term, will, will need to be absolutely embedded in all of those active strategies and products and clearly articulated and that's not just a client demand but now it's becoming more of a a regulatory requirement so we'll have requirements coming in where we have to articulate for every fund regardless of whether it's labeled ESG or not to what extent those factors are being considered in the investment process for that particular product and to the extent that they're not being considered what risk that poses due to the very fact that those the factors are not being considered in the investment process. And that, that has to be articulated and worked on and implemented uh, within the next year or so. And so there's you know, a huge amount of focus on this, but equally I think there's an opportunity for active managers to really uh, be able to grasp the ESG demands from various different channels, clients, markets, uh, and the regulators, and to be able to articulate that in the context of active management. And, and then I think sort of thirdly, there's a third pillar of alternatives. And I think increasingly, it, it's going to be incredibly important for companies in the long term to build on their alternatives offer to consider, as you said, through joint ventures or through acquisitions. I think that's going to be fundamental to the survival and the diversification of a lot of asset managers over the longer term. And I guess one of the other trends that we need to talk about, and it's linked to economies of scale, and as you say, the product choice being so broad is more broad with Brexit. Obviously, we've got a key example there where rather than the consolidation economies of scale to be achieved by having one umbrella in, 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 um, in any one jurisdiction and passporting that across, you know, we're obviously already seeing duplication of products um, being launched in the UK to mirror 
you know, Irish or Luxembourg funds in the main. But, you know, it's not just that, you know, we've seen other countries um, in, in the EU show preference for locally domiciled funds in the past and some giving tax incentives for locally domiciled institutional vehicles. And obviously we've seen that trend happen across Asia over recent years, which did lead to companies launching Hong Kong funds in particular in the hope of being able to access the Chinese market through Hong Kong domicile funds and that mutual recognition. Just picking up on a couple of themes that were mentioned there and, and, and another one that's out there and well known in the industry and that looking at long-term returns and, and the search for yield at the moment, that's one of the other drivers that pushes managers but also end clients to look at private markets and alternatives more and one of the things we see out there in terms of the medium to longer term is the democratization of alternatives we're going to need the platforms and the fund structures to allow more retail and wealth management type investors into uh, those private assets you've seen the likes of UBS and other large wealth managers saying that they are looking to up their allocations into those private markets and we've got to make sure as product developers that we've got the right product structures and then platforms and services layered on top of those to make sure that we can properly service that investment and and take in those types of clients so that's a big challenge for the next three to five years in the industry. Thank you very much for those sort of those insights. I, normally, I sort of summarise in three key points, but I think I probably need about thirty <laughs> from all the uh, the wonderful sort of insights you've given. But I think if we look back at sort of the state of the market, for me, you know, there's a very big strong theme around sort of mergers and rationalisation of funds, um, as opposed to necessarily lots of new products coming out. And then also, I think Toby particularly liked that sort of implementation versus innovation in terms of how much you could both get done in that short period with everyone focused and engaged but we're all craving that creative moment and that ability to sort of find solutions which as you've outlined there's a lot of new products those three pillars in terms of new asset classes accessing private markets and the sort of democratization so um, thank you very much I think that's a, a wonderful insight and now, if you can remember the question at the top of the call, what's your domestic nightmare uh, or your well-meaning uh, innovation attempt that, uh, that went wrong? So, hands up. Corey, you're laughing, so I think that means you may have had a disaster. Uh, well, you know, I'm going to stay on the coffee theme, right? Good, good. So, with my solution hat on, I'm get, my solution to you is to give up caffeine. I'm three weeks caffeine-free. <laughs> feeling a lot more relaxed but secondly we were having a lot of issues with cats using our garden during lockdown that's where we went and enjoyed the the beautiful weather that we luckily had but we found that the the neighbors cats in fact all of our neighbors have cats were were using it as their cat litter and one of the pieces of advice i got online was to take the ground coffee from the coffee machine or in your case from the capsule where it isn't fully (laughs) emptying and to sprinkle it all over your garden Right. And, and this would prevent this being an issue. So it doesn't work. <laughs> I spent uh, a lot of time with a teaspoon sprinkling <laughs> ground coffee around all of our flower beds. And it's not particularly good for the flower beds, I think, either, under the trampoline. And it didn't work. Annoying, because I need a solution for cats. So, um, <laughs> Toby, what about you? Any cats involved in your story? 
<laughs> no, no. Although I do have one sitting to my left as we speak. But mine is uh, my middle child has been asking us and we recently switched back to using glass milk bottles to be more environmentally friendly and my nightmare is when one of my children finally drops one of those glass milk bottles <laughs> on the floor so it's one that hasn't happened yet uh, and the innovation is I've been happily emptying out and loving putting the taking the tops the full tops off the milk bottles and pouring them all into a nice big milk jug but I still know at some point one of those glass bottles is going to get dropped thank you very two very good stories so thank you both for your contribution today and um, your reflections on the key insights in uh, the product sector or the product um, development arena thank you Chris thank you Toby thanks thank you If you want to discuss this podcast further with us, have any questions or would like to be part of our series, New World Under Construction, please get in touch with us through info at alvemi-consulting.com or via LinkedIn, Alvemi Consulting. Thank you all.